You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. I'm with Professor David Bishop, and he is an expert on exercise in altitude and the benefits of altitude training. And his formal position is at the Institute of Sport, Exercise and Active Living at the University of Victoria. But he's had a lot of practical experience working with teams and athletes in different settings, really trying to help them with their performance, potentially using altitude. David, welcome to this BJSM podcast. Yeah, thanks. And we're in Doha um, at the Aspatar Hospital in Doha where you've been before and you've just been part of a two-day conference on uh, altitude and team sports. What do you think of Doha as a tourist destination? I think it's, uh, I mean, it's perfectly placed, isn't it? I mean, you're in the middle and a short flight to almost anywhere in the world. So for an Australian, the, um, the ease of getting around is great. And let's talk about the science. So my take from the conference was that uh, for endurance athletes, the benefits of altitude are pretty clear cut. I think there's still there's still people who maybe don't necessarily agree, but I think there's a lot of people who use altitude who are pretty convinced that you can get a small, we're talking maybe one, one and a half percent improvement in endurance performance by doing altitude training. But you know, in the context of athlete performance, you know, one and a half percent performance improvement is a pretty big improvement and then i was a rookie participant in this i know nothing about this um, sort of work but um, there was a difference between training and living at altitude and then the idea of going to altitude specifically to train but being a lowlander and also this concept of um, living high and training low Um, can you just summarize those issues for folks yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of an emerging area and it was being led by Professor Gregoire Millet, he's from Lausanne. And when you, the typical live high, train low, especially if you're in an altitude house, you're only changing the oxygen concentration, but you're not changing the barometric pressure. And so there's some people who think that maybe going up to altitude and getting both the decrease in barometric pressure and the decrease in oxygen may have some specific effects that, that you don't get in an altitude house. but as far as I know, there's no real research on that today. Now, let's talk about team sports, because many of our listeners will be working with teams and thinking about whether it's a competitive advantage for them to consider some of this altitude training in its various forms. What are your thoughts on that? Is it going to benefit a team if they spend some time at altitude or in an altitude chamber, that sort of thing, for their performance as a sporting team? It's a pretty hot topic at the moment. So there's a lot of a lot of team sports in the last few years have been using altitude training. And I guess one of the, the reasons for this um, symposium or this conference at, at Aspatar is all of the re- research is based on endurance athletes. So at the moment, team sport athletes and teams have adopted what's being used for endurance athletes, hoping to get an improvement in team sport performance. But as was pointed out at the, the conference, there's actually no scientific research showing that altitude training can benefit team sport performance. There's lots of good reasons to think that it might, but I think we still need the hard proof that it can improve team sport performance. Can you give us some examples that come to mind where teams have gone um, to altitude and what they think it's achieved? There's probably a couple of different reasons for doing it. So I guess that it really came to the fore when the, when the World Cup of Rugby was in South Africa. So some of those matches were played at around about 1,400 metres. So a lot of the rugby teams prepared to go to the, um, to the World Cup by doing some altitude training. So I guess that was a different, a different purpose. So that's one concept is preparing yourself 
to play at altitude. So rugby and also, as mentioned during the the, um, the conference, there's La Plaza in Bolivia where they play soccer at four and a half thousand meters. So again, a, a challenging environment. So I guess for many years, team sport athletes have been doing that to prepare themselves to play at altitude. Recently, I guess what's been emerging in probably the last five to six years is some teams also going to to altitude during their pre-season to see if they can get some additional physiological benefits with, that will help their team sport performance during the season at sea level. And what sort of physiological benefits are they looking for? I guess that you know the classic one is the, the increase in the red blood cells, which should improve VO2 max and aerobic fitness, but. There's also some evidence that altitude training can improve the muscle buffer capacity, so the ability to cope with lactic acid, which um, we and others have shown may be important for team sport athletes. There may also be some mitochondrial adaptations. There may be some pulmonary adaptations as well, and also some cardiovascular adaptations. But finding some adaptations specific to, to team sports is, that I think, a, a, next, a next area of research. The idea is with those physiological benefits, the athletes would be faster and maintain speed longer? Most of them have been related to, I guess, um, recovering from those sprint efforts and also resistance to fatigue. And another interesting concept that was mentioned during the, during the um, conference is that with these adaptations, it may be that when the athletes come back to their club at sea level, that they can also do some higher quality training. So it's not only the, the benefits you get from the three, two or three weeks that you spend at altitude, but maybe when you come back to sea level, because of those altitude adaptations, you may be able to get better quality training during the next month or so of the pre-season. So a, a, a double effect there. If we think of these long seasons, like in the various football codes, do these benefits from, say, a pre-season uh, last throughout a season? I think one of the you know interesting things about team sports is that you know some of the research that we've done and others have done it's almost impossible to improve your fitness during the season. So really what the idea is to get your fitness to the as good a level as possible during the pre-season so that you can then, normally you can maintain that fitness during the season. So it's really getting a very good starting level during the pre-season. And typically we've seen that whatever you start the season with, you can normally maintain throughout the season until the finals. But I've heard of the odd team going to an altitude place mid-season for a shorter period. It's happened occasionally, and so um, there was a pretty famous case in Australia last year where there were a couple of players that, for various reasons, either minor injuries or, or sickness, so were going to have a couple of weeks where they weren't going to be playing in the in the Premiership season. So they were sent to altitude. So yeah, it's a risk that you take if there's. You know, if you have to win every single game, then you can't afford to let some of your best players go to altitude. But if there's a gap, and in this example with Australian rules football, there's also a bye in the middle of the season. So it may be possible to get two or three weeks and to, to top up the altitude effects during the, during the um, season. But I guess the difference was, you know, the whole team went to the pre-season training. And in the middle of the season, you may be able to send a couple, three or four players to to, to your important players to altitude. And then we've been talking about the altitude per se. And what about these modern technologies like an altitude hotel? Or um, I saw pictures of people wearing masks and doing cycling on a hypoxic mask. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of effort at the moment to find that extra half, 1% that, you know, is going to help you hold the premiership trophy aloft. So there's also, yeah, people going to altitude, people using altitude hotels such that, you know, we have at our research centre. There's also people using hypoxic training. So that's just attaching a, a mask and having hypoxic conditions while you're actually doing the training. So again, not a lot of evidence, but using hypoxic conditions in a lots of different modes to try and maximize the performance. Okay, as we get towards the end of this podcast, I know you normally get paid thousands of dollars to give advice about these things, but uh, for our BJSM listeners, you know, are you advocating this sort of approach for teams that you're giving advice for? I think, you know, from, again, from the conference, there was a Dr. Rob Chapman made a really good point is that most teams will probably do a training camp at some stage during the pre-season. And so if you're going to spend the money to go to a training camp at sea level, why not go to a training camp at altitude? And there's a good, you know, there's a, a chance that you may get some additional benefits. And I think at this stage, what the literature is reasonably clear on is there doesn't seem to be any detrimental effects. And so in that case, you know, it's probably worth until more evidence comes out to, to take a chance on altitude training. And are all sports the same? We're talking about football codes would apply for basketball, volleyball, other sports? Yeah, I think you know, in most countries, those are the, the big sports, the football, soccer, etc., where there's been more activity. As far as, I haven't heard of basketball players doing that, but I think you're, you're probably, it's probably going to be more beneficial to, beneficial to sports where there's slightly longer efforts. So, you know, obviously the basketball court's a lot smaller and you're doing a, a much, you're not going to be doing 30, 40 metre sprints on a basketball court typically. So, again, I guess the research isn't out there, but if I had to go one way, I'd be thinking more the, the football type sports where you can get three, four, five second sprints in and needing to recover from those. They're probably going to be the type of sport, team sports that are going to be benefit more from altitude training. Thanks, David. So that's a terrific couple of comments, food for thought for people to think about when they're working with teams and considering these options and giving advice to coaches. Where's the future headed? Yeah, I think hopefully the um, the document, that the papers that will be published in BJSM will be an important step forward in this field. And I guess one of the problems that has typically plagued the, the field is there's so many different ways you can manipulate the altitude. There's so many different durations. There's so many diet variables that you can change. So one of the outcomes, I think, will be the, the consensus statement where we'll hopefully come to a consensus on what are the ways that future studies need to be conducted so we can get really solid evidence and make better evidence-based recommendations for the use of altitude training with team sport athletes. Great. And I know you'll want to thank Olivier Girard, who organised that conference. Yeah, and Aspatar. I mean, Olivier did a, a terrific job, and thanks to you for your support and BJSM for their support as well. So I think it's going to hopefully be a, you know, the, the journal issue will be an important issue. And like I said, in five or seven years, with some better controlled research, I think we'll be in a much better place to make some evidence-based recommendations. Thanks a lot, David. And for the BJSM listeners, that supplement issue on the role of altitude training in team sports will come out in the September to December phase of the year. 
And remember to follow BJSM on Twitter and on our blog. The Twitter handle is at BJSM underscore BMJ. And we'll be updating you on releases such as these particular articles. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast and look for others on the BJSM homepage. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.